Section 74 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 11, Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 74. Modern Columbia, 20th Century, by Francis E. Clark. Columbia has shared but little as yet in this upward progress, by reason in part of her difficult geographical position, which has placed her temperate and most largely peopled section so far in the interior and made it so inaccessible to the coast. Weeks of the most difficult journeying are required to get to the seacoast from Bogota or to any of the other states of Colombia, and Panama might as well be on the other side of the globe, so far as practical communication goes, says Mr. Dawson. Very early in her history, the Spaniards, lured on by gold, made their way to the healthful tablelands in the interior, and there Quesada, their leader, established his capital on the site of the ancient Chipka city, the Chipkas were a large nation of a very considerable degree of civilization. They made cotton cloth, mined the precious metals and emeralds, used money as a circulating medium, lived in houses, built splendid temples, established a very effective form of government, in fact, in many lines of civilization, were scarcely inferior to the Incas or Aztecs. But they had no military organization or genius, and two hundred Spaniards soon conquered them, and reduced them to vassalage. The next three centuries were centuries of rapacity and oppression, of bloodshed and revolt, and stern reprisals. We cannot follow their wearisome years in detail. At last, the people awoke to a sense of their rights and their wrongs. The ferment of the French Revolution began to work in far-off and backward Colombia. The troubles of Spain in the Napoleonic Wars gave the people their opportunity, and in 1808 the series of revolts began, which at last, under Bolivar, gave Colombia and the other republics their so-called freedom, or at least transferred the location of their tyrants from Spain to their own shores, and gave them grafters of their own nation, instead of foreign oppressors, to batten on the national necessities. The history of the last hundred years has been a history of revolutions, new constitutions, and the constant swinging of the pendulum from extreme republicanism to dictatorship and back again, but often at both extremes, with a set of rapacious and corrupt rulers in power. Presidents and cabinet officers, who have been personally honest and who have desired better things for Colombia, have been handicapped by lack of power to inaugurate reforms, by the inertness of the people, and by the desperate condition of the finances of the country. Bolivar plunged the country hopelessly in debt at the very beginning of her independent national life, by recklessly borrowing money for his mercenary troops and for his navy. Dishonesty and continued reckless borrowing increased this debt, until it amounted to thirty-five millions of dollars. After the separation of Venezuela and Ecuador from Colombia, 
each country nominally assumed its proportionate part of the debt, which, in Colombia's case, has been repeatedly scaled down, and even the interest has scarcely been paid. Yet in spite of debts, bad government, and revolutions, Colombia remains a state, great in territory, and enormously rich in natural products. The gold it contains alone would make it rich, if intelligently mined and conserved. Along the river banks it is said you find pay dirt everywhere, and cannot wash the soil of these banks at any point without finding color. Since the Spanish conquest, more than three-quarters of a billion dollars' worth of the yellow metal have been taken out of Colombia, and the mines are still far from being exhausted. Bogota, the capital, is a city of 120,000 inhabitants, and is the literary and intellectual, as well as the political center of the country. It has an American-installed street railway and system of electrical lights, and a library of 50,000 volumes. The Spanish spoken in Bogota is said to be particularly pure, and she has contributed more, perhaps, to the literature of South America than any other one center. The event in Colombian history of most interest to American readers was the last revolt of Panama, which separated that province from the rest of Colombia and made it possible for the United States to dig the Great Canal. I have called it the last revolt, for Panama has been in a chronic state of secession for hundreds of years. At times, her connection with far-off and inaccessible Bogota was merely nominal. At other times, she was held in absolute and rasping vassalage, which galled her spirits and tempted her to constant efforts to break away from Colombia. In 1885, the very delegates who nominally represented her in the Constitutional Convention were residents of Bogota, appointed by President Nunes. Military rule became a permanent thing on the Isthmus. All officials were strangers, sent from the Andean Plateau, and the million dollars of taxes wrung each year from the people of Panama were spent in maintaining the soldiers who kept them in subjection. One of the periodical revolts of Panama occurred in 1895, but it was premature and ill-managed, and was speedily put down by the Colombian troops. A much more formidable rebellion broke out in 1899, and resulted in a three-year civil war, in which 30,000 men were slain. No wonder, then, that the Panamians were already to take advantage of the hitch in negotiations between the United States and the Colombian governments, when the corrupt officials at Bogota held out for more than the ten millions offered for the canal rights, and threatened to hinder, if not prevent, the eventual building of the canal through Panama. Then came Panama's golden opportunity, and she seized it by declaring her independence. The new Republic of Panama was proclaimed November the 3rd, 1903. All the resident inhabitants were practically in favor of the new republic, whose interests were entirely bound up with the canal. The prompt recognition of Panama by the United States ten days later, and by France fifteen days later, prevented Colombia from repeating the bloody scenes of 1899-1902, and made it possible to build the canal, which will vastly promote the progress, unification, 
and civilization of the world. End of section 74